episode 206 of the American Entrepreneur. Five things I learned in a startup to help you with your business. I'll say you're not confused. I ran a company called Dream Blueprint Marketing. It was awesome. It was a fun experience. I learned a fucking lot. The problem was every time I closed a client or a salesperson brought me a deal and I closed a deal, I now had to spend all my time on the marketing operations. Doing what I've done before, doing what other people won't do for a client, and learning new things that I never knew how to do before. And so the problem became every time I closed a deal, I could no longer focus on closing deals. I now had to focus on servicing the client. And so I joined forces with um, a business partner I've done work before with, and we're taking ghost as a full-fledged startup, which is essentially he's a he's a performance marketer, was a freelancer hired by a bunch of big-ass companies. And so now we're like taking Ghost as the flagship to approach the market with. So there's a lot of things when you make a startup that are going to be super... Annoying because they're not organized. Problems you didn't even know you would have and setbacks you wouldn't even know going into it that you would even have. So these might help you. Here's, here's those tips, five tips, uh, five things I learned. One, go into business with a tech partner. I watched Gary Vaynerchuk give a speech about making startups and what Gary Vaynerchuk said was, Oh, I learned when I make a tech startup, not to just go in and try to be the tech guy. He said, if you're going to start a tech startup, you have to go in with another tech guy. Always remembered him saying that. And so going into business with a tech guy where the deals closed and I'm not spending all my fucking time doing client servicing has been a miracle, bro. It has been so fucking good. It was so difficult every time I closed a client. You know how in sales, you got to really get good at sales. And so I'm spending all my time, fucking hours a day, focusing on marketing, focusing on new updates to Facebook's back end, focusing on doing consultations for other clients when we're not going to grow at the rate that we want if there's not a person solely focused on sales. And so if you're going to go into a startup, especially a t some type of technical industry, really important that you save yourself all the time constraints, all the labor constraints, and the opportunity cost of you focusing on too many things and just go straight in with another tech partner. They got to be good too. Or else, every time you close a client, you're going to be putting fires out for that client contract instead of focusing on growing the business. 
And so for, you know, years, I struggled to get over 3000 a month because every time I close clients, I'll be focused on that shit the whole entire time. Okay, so that's the first thing. You don't even know the type of... I see these dudes that are like, oh, I learned marketing and closed a bunch of my clients. Yeah, but you probably didn't help those clients out very well. A, B, you didn't grow as fast as you could. And C, that is not a sustainable way to see entrepreneurship. It is a joined force of basically masterminds doing their roles to make a bigger impact. Go into business with a tech partner, number one. Unless you want all the fucking hassle that comes with not doing that. And that kind of sucks, right? So that's one. Two, there's this concept that my partner Tanner put into our business, which is, you know, this came long before me. This is like a a Tanner-esque, this isn't new to any companies, but the way he assimilated it is genius, and he calls it ghost flow. Many times when you start a business, you don't know what you're doing and what the impact of what you're doing is. You could spend a year just going in a circle, doing a bunch of things that really don't impact the operation, the sales, or the product for the business. And so this concept he has overarches everything. And it's called ghost flow. The ghost flow framework takes variables, actionable items, and ranks them by level of impact. It sees which things you're doing are working and then ranks them in level of impact. And so we've taken ghost flow, the framework, and began to apply it to our sales system. And I've never seen a company do that. I've never seen a company even attempt. I've never seen a company present the idea of something like that. And so here's what it would look like. In sales, we have an objective. Objective, get the customer's card down. Then we have a tactic, which could be framing. It could be uh, labeling. It could be neutral language. And so all of those things reduce resistance, create rapport, right? And now we're going to label which one of those things is the most effective in reaching that objective. So if the objective is to get their guard down, here's the three, four ways, the three tactics that we use to achieve that. Which one of those tactics is effective? Which one is the most effective? And then rank them order from most to least effective tactic to achieve achieve the strategy of getting a customer's guard down or building rapport or eliciting information. So for all those objectives, we have different tactics and we rank them in order of importance. Now you can even do this with He started it in marketing. Here's the four things we're doing on your campaign. Here's the thing that's having the biggest impact. And then in descending order, here's the other things that are having the biggest impact on your campaign. So that's helped me a lot in, um, I don't know how many of you people out there do martial arts or, you know, play sports, right? 
There's certain moves you can make at certain times, and there's a certain percentage likelihood that that move, that that tactic will meet your objective. And so if you're rolling in jujitsu and you have like, we'll say like an arm bar or like a fucking flying arm bar, I'd have salespeople ask me, well, can I do this? Is this a bad thing to do? And I'd say, you can do it. It's not a bad thing to do. It just has a significantly lower ratio of meeting your objective. And so I talk about this with salespeople. Again, if you're a salesperson listening to this, pay attention because this might be really important to your sales process. When you are closing, you know, they have this type of close, this type of close, you can close like this. We have a certain way of closing, which you can hear in every other sales podcast I put up here. I'm not going to go too in-depth right now. Essentially, our close is to frame ourselves as a person who can help and frame the other person as someone who needs to take accountability for their problem. We don't ask, do you want to sign up? Why? Because that's a 50% chance they'll say no. Just based off human nature. So can you sign people up by saying, do you want to do this Monday or Tuesday? Absolutely. However, that has a significantly lower percentage of actually working. And so when people ask me, is this bad to do? Can I do this? You're asking the wrong question. The right question should be, it shouldn't be, can I do this? Should I do this? Which one should, the question should be, yeah, the question should be, which one of these things should I do at the highest percenting consistent closing ratio? Which one of these tactics at the highest degree accurately reaches my objective? And so how would you do that without ranking your tactics and how they meet their objective in order of effectiveness? Exactly, you wouldn't. And most sales programs in general, A, don't even have the right objective. B, if they do, they're not using the correct tactics to reach those objectives and C, if they are, the percentage likelihood of those tactics reaching that objective are still too low, which is why they have such fucking low closing ratios. Um, not toot my own horn because I, have a, I seriously have a lot of fucking work to do. Like, all I can see is the amount of work I have to do, right? That's how you get when you hyper-focus on something. However, I will say... I went from, you know, five, six hours to make a meeting to maybe 30 minutes to an hour to set a meeting for a $2,500 deal that could pop up, right? For a $2,500 a month recurring contract. Now, instead of five, six hours, I can do it, you know, half an hour, an hour and set a meeting. How did I achieve that? I'll tell you how you're not going to achieve that. If you don't have the correct objective and then you don't have the correct tactics to use, right? And then sometimes the tactic you want to use is not usable because of the nature of the situation. Situation drive strategy. So you don't just want to use any other one. You want to use the second in order most effective likelihood of success. So without ranking your objectives, there's a process, there's objectives in the process, and then there are 
tactics to meet meet those objectives. If you're not using the highest closing ratio tactic, you are literally reducing the likelihood that you will make money. So what we're going to do is create, essentially what the, what the objective here is, is to create an AI that listens to our calls. It says the amount of times that we use a tactic. And it says the statistical times that we reach the objective. And the hardest part is going to be for us right now. Being able to say what the customer's response is and then categorizing the customer response as indicators that we've met that objective. So if a customer says, I'm not interested, you say, well, I'm not even sure this is for you. And they say, well, what is it you guys do? That let their guard down because they went from resistance to hypnosis. They went from pushing us away to pulling us back in. So reading the customer's responses is actually one of the most difficult parts. They can all be so different. We'll probably end up using a lot of Chase Hugh stuff on reading behavior, rather be tone of voice, body language in order to achieve that. Um, But yeah, that's another thing we learned. Ghost flow is your objective and then the statistical likelihood that the tactic you will take will successfully meet that objective. Ranked in order of tactics used it's been really fucking cool you can apply that to literally everything dude without doing that you kind of end up wasting your time on what you're working on so that's two three this has taught me a lot more about the sales process i'd already spent a year and a half building a sales team perfecting the sales process Losing people, watching people set meetings and not close deals, Um, having issues with my lack of just ability to manage a sales team, persuade them into the goal. I fixed a lot of those bottlenecks. I fixed bottlenecks in the explanation of the sales process. But here's one thing you'll see is that when I joined up with another company, or joined up with a business partner for this company, there was more pressure put on me and my ability to explain this rapidly. My ability to explain it rapidly. And so we've stumbled across this concept that a lot of entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs, I mean, it might be you, it might not be, but most entrepreneurs struggle with this. It's called brevity. The ability to do more with less. The ability to make your hour sales call a 30-minute sales call. The ability to make a landing page that's a 1,000 words, a 100 words, and have the same, if not larger, effect on reaching that objective. And so what I've been forced to do is break everything I naturally do. I already had a process, but I've been really pushed to break that process into objective points And then I've been really pushed to break those objective points into tactic points. And the problem becomes you have so many tactics, objectives that you have when you're creating any topology, you have redundancy. And so sometimes I have things that it seems like two different tactics, but it's really one tactic applied in a different way. 
It's the same exact thing, just maybe a word here is different or this is different. At the end of the day, it's the same thing. And so the problem is you'll create these processes and then when you go to organize them and actually look at them as a standard operating procedure, what you realize is there's a ridiculous amount of redundancy in the items, in the lists, and the variables, and the categories that you're using to create your program. So we have a program, that program has a process, that process has objectives. Those objectives are met with tactics. We have theories to explain them. We have narratives slash stories to expand and create brevity in the explanation of those things. And then we have indicators of success, key performance indicators of the customer's response and the effectiveness of those variables. So I've been forced, not forced, but pushed and not even really pushed, but uh, I'd say influenced or however you'd like to put it, um, by my own, you know, I want to say maybe fear of failure, but it's really just like non-acceptance of failure. Not not fear, my non-acceptance of failure. And so I can't accept that if I come into a company and they say break this down, that I can't break it down. I'm going to fucking break it down. If a task is given, I know how important it is. Maybe you're this way too. I'm not going to accept failure. Some people call it a fear of failure. Um, call it what you want. I'm not going to accept failure, period. So it's really, what it'll do is it'll push you to explain yourself. Not to justify yourself, but to lay things out. Uh, here's another thing. So this is point four. Low stakes practice for business. A lot of the methods that we use in our sales and persuasion, you know, influence program is called GOCSP, Goal, Obstacle, Consequence, Suffering, Problem Ownership. That is our process of persuasion, right? Instead of practicing everything in a deal where you could lose money, get what Black Swan Group, Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference, FBI, Negotiator, His group said this, and I've kind of adopted it. I love it. It's called low-stake practice. Most concepts are obvious, but when you put them into words and use them as a strategy, they become more effective. You can tune in on how to use them. So low-stake practice, whenever we have meetings, I'm using labeling. Rather it be meeting up with um, a sales guy, rather it be meeting up with the co-owner, I say, okay, It sounds like, and this is what labeling is. I say, we need to move this from here to here. It sounds like we need to move this from this tab to this tab. Exactly. That's called labeling. So getting low stakes practice is super important. Uh, Five, the number one issue I've seen in the sales process from the opening cold call to the closing meeting. You ready for this? Because this is one of the most important things that you could ever understand about business. All right, so if I say, are you ready for this and you're not ready for this? Um, okay, I'll tell you. The number one issue in every fucking salesperson, every sales process, in every industry, every market, every product, every sales me ever. 
is that the salesperson comes too early. (laughs) They don't know anything about your situation. They don't know anything about you. They don't know anything about your goals. They don't know anything about your obstacles, your consequences, or your suffering. And they're like, yeah, you should sign up. I will say for the next 10 years, because people don't, won't understand it, they'll deny it, and people will think I'm bullshitting, unless I do it for 10 years and there's a track record, not of what I've done, but what I've you know, helped other people to do. You should never present your business in a sale. The point of a sale is not to present your business. The point of a sale is to qualify the customer. From the beginning of the sale to the fucking end of the sale, the only goal you have is to qualify the customer. Once you and them have qualified them, meaning they have qualified themselves as a person, they have qualified themselves as a person who should buy. That's the goal of a sale. The goal of a sale is to get the customer to qualify themselves as someone who should buy. And you do that by creating problem ownership. So most people get to the end of the sale, the customer's already, then they say, all right, let's sign you up Tuesday. And they go, ah, let us think about it. What the fuck? You just said you were going to sign up. You just said you had the problems. You just said we're perfect for it. Yeah, I still want to think about it. Because you're trying to get them to sign up. And so every salesperson I've ever told in my, I don't expect you guys to listen to this. I promise you it's going to take 10 years before anybody listens to what I'm about to say. The goal of a sale is not to sign someone up. The goal of a sale is to understand, qualify, and get the customer to qualify themselves. Well, okay, when I've done that, now do I sign them up? No, bro, what the fuck? You're not listening. Oh my God, no. You do not get to the end of a sale and then try to sign someone up. And so that's what salespeople do. They get to the end of the sale, then they say, okay, well, here's the next steps. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how much it costs a month you already fucked up. Zero percent. You know what zero means? Because I got, I know a lot of people that think zero means one percent. They can't comprehend what zero means. It's it's most salespeople I've ever worked with can't comprehend black and white information. If I say don't fucking present the product, don't fucking present the product. And so these salespeople will get to the end of the sale, they'll get all nervous and they'll be like, ah, he said, don't present, but I don't know what to do next. Um, 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 well, this is how much it is a month and this is what we do. And like, are you ready to sign up? Every single time the customer's like, let me think about it. People can't comprehend what zero means. There should be zero present presentation in a sales process. How do you know when to give them the numbers and sign them up? Then they'll ask you. They'll ask you, when I get to the end of the sale, I don't ask them to sign up. The customer says, how much is it a month? It's this much a month, but we'd have to do this. Okay, perfect. What are the next steps that we do? The next steps we do is we get you started on Monday, but the problem is we're going to have to get this fixed, this fixed, and this fixed, and then we're just going to have to get you onboarded in order to even make that happen. I do not ask the customer to sign up. The customer asks me to sign up. I do not end my deals asking people to give me money. It's the stupidest fucking thing you could do. I get to the end of the deals 
And the only thing I'm doing is qualifying them and talking to them about their problem. That's it. So when I say you present zero, I don't know why people think I'm saying 0.1 or I'm saying one. Oh, no, no, no. It isn't like I just told you present 0%. Well, I, I just kind of presented. I didn't say kind of present, did I? So people can't comprehend what zero means. And um, yeah, I'm being all snarky about it because it's like, I don't know, it sounds cool or whatever. But really, I'm, I'm loving about it and I'm light about it at the end of the day. I'm just making a presentation for you guys so you're not fucking bored, right? When I say present 0%, that is black and white. And so I just said the same fucking thing 10 different ways for like three minutes. How important do you think this might be if I just spent four minutes repeating myself? You do not present in a sales meeting. I'm not, there are people that like, they want to believe me. They just, they can't. And I don't know because they're afraid. What if I'm wrong? Well, you should be afraid. What if I'm right? Because that means you're going to fuck up every single sale you do. I'm going to repeat myself. If there's any tip that I can give you, do not present in a sales meeting. Do not talk about your product. Don't talk about the price. Don't talk about what it is you do. Don't talk about how long. Do not talk about your fucking product, bro. That's how you do a sales meeting. Okay. Low stakes practice. Uh, People bust too early. Here's the last thing that I will present for y'all. If you stayed up into here, you get a free one. This is six. Okay, so here's, here's business development 101. For those of you who want to start a business, but people don't trust you because you haven't had a previous client, you haven't had this, that, whatever. They want to see some proof. Maybe you do have a bunch of clients. Maybe you do have, a, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Here's the thing, man. Something we've learned with clients, with each other, and with onboarding employees. If you give someone evidence of what you've done, they get bored as fuck. If you give someone evidence, if you give them, here's a case study, they're not going to read the case study. It's too many words. They don't, that's boring, right? They won't tell you that to your face. They don't want to seem immature. They don't want to seem unfocused. They don't want to seem disrespectful. They don't want to seem out of the loop. They don't want to be the only entrepreneur in the room not pretending to like a fucking case study for an hour. They don't want to tell you, hey, this is fucking boring. I don't even care about doing my due diligence because this is so boring. They don't care. When people do company onboards, we've been doing this for blah, blah, blah. No one gives a fuck. And you know what the managers say? You need to stop being lazy and unfocused and pay attention. I'm sorry what you're saying is boring as fuck and you want me to pretend it's not boring. I'll never do that to our, our, our employees because I'm not fucking retarded, right? I'm not stupid. I hate to be a hater. But let's be honest here. Have you ever been to a company onboarding that talked about the company for three hours and gave you snacks and you were anything less than bored as fuck? When you give someone evidence, they are not interested in becoming a professional in your evidence. However, 
A lack of evidence makes people paranoid. That's right. A lack of evidence makes people paranoid. However, if you give them evidence, they don't care about investigating it. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that weird? So we've onboarded people. Um, you know, for my old company, I had our onboarding company overview, people we've worked with. You would come in the Discord and you'd see all that. The new Discord we made for the, the new company launch... It didn't have any of that shit. And so the first question that, you know, I had a salesperson ask is like, well, how do I know that you guys really do this? And I'm like, do you really think that we're... So I had an initial reactive. I should have responded, but I reacted. I said, what the... F Bro, are you fucking telling me that we started a fake company, are fake hiring you and are pretending to be a business? And he's like, that's not what I meant. You know what I'm saying? I, I had a terrible communication there. I communicated that incorrectly. But it's my fault because onboarding this person, we didn't have company overview people we've worked with before in the Discord, so the salespeople couldn't check that shit out. Now, I'm sitting here with, um, you know, Tanner, business partner, we're going over like, hey, how are we going to put this in here so these guys can understand the company? And so he makes this really nice case study. You know, it's a few pages, like a Google link, case study, drops it in there, boom, Immediately when my brain went to, bro, I know this is going to sound crazy, but are you against just like deleting this case study? I know it looks nice. You know it looks nice. Marketers would think it's fucking awesome. Here's the problem. They're not going to read that case study. If someone lacks evidence, they get paranoid. But when you give them evidence, do you really think they spend three years looking at the shit? No, they don't. And so for any of you sales guys, to sell the three tens, one, you got to sell them the idea of the product, cool. Two, you got to sell them you as the salesperson. That comes down to not lowering your status by being desperate. Three, they got to believe in the company. You can't hide the shit. But if you, I've had t tons of people say, do you have a website? They didn't trust me because they didn't have a website. I made a website. I put all the shit on the website. I sent them the website. When we had our meeting, they signed up. They said, well, do you do this? I said, that's all on our website. Didn't you check out our website? Yeah, I just don't remember that. Because they didn't trust me because I didn't have a website, but when I gave them my website, they didn't read a goddamn thing on the website. This has been, if you want to know and not miss out, this has been the most, this has been the most revolutionary, to me, the most revolutionary part of doing this. I, I've never understood that before. People are not going to investigate evidence you give them because they're too lazy and that's too boring. But if you don't give them any evidence, then they're paranoid. So they'll sit here and tell you, I don't trust you because you don't have a website. Then you'll show them the website and they don't read a goddamn thing on the website, but now they trust you. So that's the last thing you should know is that people do not thoroughly investigate evidence, but they are paranoid if there is a lack of it. Okay, it's paranoia. So there's five, there's an extra step for you, an extra wisdom nugget for you. This is what we've learned getting the startup going from a very, you know, human psychological perspective. And uh, yeah, if you don't take these things in mind when you get going with your startup, you're going to have a lot of fucking issues, especially that last one. Make sure you have some proof of concept. Doesn't have to be crazy, just have some proof of concept.
you should be good. And so good luck. Go close some deals. Don't miss out by ignoring these six steps.